kick us off. Welcome back to another episode of Unscripted Exchanges. Man, I'm stoked. I'm pumped as always, Cole. I'm stoked to be back. If you guys can't notice, I probably sound a little bit more toned down. Um, my co-host over here, Hayden, decided that I had to move the microphone away from my face because I'm such a loud talker. So we've moved it back a little bit. Uh, but we're we're just excited to to be here today, and we've got an unbelievable guest on the show, Scott Jacobs. He he's got, this is gonna be a, a lightning episode. It's gonna be full of information about startups, about raising capital, about young entrepreneurs, um, you know, business minded people. I think Scott, as he serves right now as executive director of Queen City Angels. Queen City Angels is a mentoring and investment capital company, you know, investment company or program, if I'm not mistaken. Angel Investment Group. Angel Investment Group uh, here in the uh, greater Cincinnati area. Been around for a couple decades now and has made a huge impact on the startup ecosystem, uh, entrepreneurs and founders from here all across the globe. I mean, you guys don't just invest and mentor startups here in Cincinnati. Uh, it's an unbelievable organization. Scott has been a key driver and and mover of the company to help keep it on track, to help young entrepreneurs raise capital, understand where they need to take their businesses, how to grow as individuals and as business owners. So, Scott, hopefully I did a good enough introduction for you. My mom would be proud. Of <laughs> I got I to gotta throw some gasoline on it when we get started. Yeah, Q QCA is an angel investment group. We we started out with five members in nineteen in two thousand. Okay, and uh, there was a company in Cincinnati that's been lost in the annals of time. It was a company called SDRC. Mm -hmm. uh, it started in nineteen sixty seven in UC. Okay, and uh, they developed a technology that was sort of the precursor to CAD CAM. Mm, yeah, <clears throat> really. Yeah, they they were. The first to sort of digitize engineering drawings, and yeah. they uh, they went on to be just just about a unicorn. In in two thousand one, they were sold to EDS for nine hundred fifty million dollars. And um, Tony Shipley had worked at for for a period of time, and then there were four XDR X, X, uh, SDRC. That's hard to say. Uh, say that to uh, executives <laughs> that got together and they said hey you know we ought to give back to the community and, and help founders mm -hmm. and uh they had toyed with the idea of starting a venture capital fund and uh what tony did was an analysis of what was going on in the community and they found that it was really a gap in the earlier stage mm -hmm. and so that's when he decided to start up an angel group and he he did like uh, he he's got a good engineering mind. He was founder, and so he did his research. And uh, we he talked to angel groups all over the country. He talked to angel group uh, groups in North Carolina, uh, on both coasts, mm -hmm. Boston, California. And uh, and uh, what what you find with angel groups is it's very uh, collegial. Um, everybody shares things with everyone else. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to help founders. We're all trying to syndicate deals and share risk mm -hmm. and uh these angel groups were all just sharing all the documents you know here's here's what a membership agreement looks like here's the subscription agreement. anything that you want angel groups are just you, you know I, I can call up a counterpart of mine in another part of the country and they'll, they're likely to take my call 
Okay. And we can chat about, because we all have sort of the same challenges, right? Right, right. And uh, we all think the valuations are too high. And founders <laughs> think the valuations are t- too low. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we all have the, uh, the same sets of challenges, and we're all trying to help one another be better. So, so jumping in, because that's just, that's, that's really neat. Obviously, sounds like a very collaborative environment, right? It's, you know, this day and age, everybody kind of likes to think everybody's in silos, right? And, and what I hear you saying is like the angel community and the angel investment community as a whole is very collaborative. And, you know, the underlying theme I heard from that, which was really neat, Scott, to hear you say that, because you're clearly passionate about what you do. I mean, I can see it all over your face. You walk in here and talk about it. You're smiling is that it's about helping founders and helping each other. It's it's the help. You use the word help, and you didn't use it lightly. And I think that's really neat to hear that, especially for, you know, especially younger generations of founders and younger entrepreneurs and even, you know, first-time entrepreneurs that are in their 30s or 40s or 50s. I'll give you a couple of stories. So we had a um, – this guy was probably a 50-something – guy that was starting up his company was mm-hmm. out of Pittsburgh and he was moving to Cleveland and uh, he got recommended to us by the um, what used to be they're not so much an angel group but they're more venture capital north coast up in Cleveland and um, they they were investing in him and they wanted us to talk to him so right. he actually came down to Cincinnati we have hybrid meetings every other meeting at Xavier and the, uh, the other meetings are all zoom only yep. and so this guy came down and he presented and uh, the group liked it. And so I, I ran out of, out of the, the meeting room into the hallway and I said, hey, uh, um, Dave, I just want, to, want you to know we're, we're moving you into due diligence. And he said, uh, oh, that's great. I'm so excited. I said, well, strap yourself in, man. It's going to be a rocky ride. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. The due diligence not not an easy process. And he said, okay, okay. So, uh you know, we went through the due diligence process and we decided to invest. Uh-huh. After we had decided to invest, I, I, I called him back up and I said, hey, congratulations, Dave. You, you made it across the finish line. He said, well, you know, the root canal is finally complete. And uh, I got through it. And uh, he said, but I got to tell you, I learned more about my business going through your due diligence process than I would have ever known. Uh-huh. And it's been so great for me to think about how changes I need to make and things that I need to do. And that's really what it's about. Uh, we, we met with a founder today. It's the second time we've met with this founder. Extremely technical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if he went in front of an investor group that didn't understand the technical aspects of the deal, he, he, would, he wouldn't win. Mm-hmm. He was, he's not going to be able to raise money. People aren't going to understand it, right? Enough. So you got to dumb it down to the fifth grade level, right? And you and you got to uh, clearly com- communicate and articulate what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so we've spent two meetings with him, preparing him before he before he goes to pitch it, before he comes in for the formal investment screening. Wow, and that's cool. Not you know, not many groups do that. Not many groups spend that amount of time with founders to get them prepped. And even after they come in for an investment screening meeting, there's times in which the screening committee committee will say, boy, really interesting idea. We got to coach him because when he comes in front of the bigger group, he's got to do this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And so 
mentoring and coaching and training is what it's all about. And wh whatever we can do to help founders be more successful, even if we don't fund them, we, we want to do that. Well, you want to say something? Well, I mean, it, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that might be how you differentiate <clears throat> yourselves from other angel capitalists, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Well, yeah, we like we, you truly care about helping the the founder in any any capacity, whether or not you're actually going to, you know, invest in them, like you're coaching them, mentoring them to some extent. Well, I, I'll get calls from founders where they, they have an idea that we were never going to fund. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But, but I'm sort of like, well, wait a minute, maybe you need to contact Aviatra, the, the women's accelerator. Um, Let's see, where are you located? Well, there's an angel group there. I can connect you with them. Yeah. Whatever I can do, whatever resources I can give them to, to help them, that's what we'll do. But we we started a uh, um, some programs uh, when we first uh, were founded. In the year 2001, we, we created what we call our Entrepreneur Boot Camp. Mm. Fun fact, we, it, did, we did that. Well, I know, that's right, you did. Yeah. With parody? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me your experience. Phenomenal. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Super worth it. It was very, I don't know. I, I should have remembered. I'm sorry. Yeah, I took that. No, no, well, this was like, this was shoot, six years ago, I think six or seven years ago. Um, so, I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little rusty on it, but I did it with myself and my co-founder, Ben Serco. And I, I think we walked out of there going like, we, we've got a lot more to figure out than we initially thought. Well, that's why I call it a scared straight program. It, it, it literally was <laughs> kind of like we went in there going like we're the we're the top dogs, right? We got the best idea. We've got the best. We've got a prototype. Like you know, this was you know I was twenty. I think we were I was, we were twenty when we started the company, nineteen or twenty. And we got everything figured out, right? Nobody could tell us. Yeah. And we walk out of there going like, "What do you?" We're looking at our notes and we're looking at each other, and I'm like, "I don't want this to shake our confidence here, buddy." But like, there's a lot of holes in what we've got to figure out. And it was, um, I would say the experience overall, like looking back on it now, as I've, as we exited, you know, that company a few years ago and, and, and moving into like doing stuff like this and, and possibly other ventures, it was game changing, I think for us, because we were, we were taken down a notch, not in a negative way, not in a, Hey, you guys don't know anything way, but, a Hey, here's, because nobody said that to you during the no, two no, days. It's not right. about that. Right. It's not about that. It's right. about hey, let's let's put some meat on the bones. That's my favorite. Yeah, I think I've been using that phrase way too much lately. <laughs> hey, we got a skeleton. Like, let's put some meat on it. Like, let's 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 add let's add some layers to this that you guys don't have right now. So I think overall, that experience changed my trajectory. And I'm not just saying this to float your boat. It truly changed my perspective and trajectory on starting starting a business. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, we we got that thing started initially because you know you can imagine over 20 years ago we had founders that were coming to QCA with with ideas mm -hmm. like we were just talking about, just an idea or a concept, and they didn't know how to pitch angel investors. Mm. And so, you know, that's that's why we have the one session the second day that we call View from the Heavens, mm -hmm. what angel investors are looking for. And uh, that was the whole idea behind the program. And when it, when we first got started, you know, it's evolved over the years. We used to have people write business plans. Mm -hmm. like one of the sessions was how to write a business plan. And I still espouse people writing business plans. But what, what you're going to present 
to the group is the executive summary from the mm -hmm. business plan, right? You're not going to give somebody a 60 or 80 page document right. to read, right? But um, you still have to go through that exercise of doing all the analysis uh, that you would do to write a business plan. And then summarize um, it. And you got to figure out, what, yep. That, that's right. That's right. You, you don't you don't write the executive summary first, right? Yep. You do all the work first. And, and then, then, you you, then you summarize it. That's what it is, yeah. right? And that's what we're looking for when, when we're going to invite a, a company to come in for screening. Uh, we have them fill out a funding application, but it's basically executive summary type information, mm -hmm. right? So, so let me ask you this, kind of going back to, you know, because we kind of got right into like the, the nitty gritty of it, which I love, is kind of, you know, startups and young founders out there, What what is the, you know, you mentioned the pitch process and the fundamentals of a pitch. And I, I don't think we can, we can over over um i don't want to like underplay underplay underway the value and the importance of a pitch because i think a lot of the times like the pitch you've, you've even mentioned it like that pitch that time you get in front of the, the the angels that is your only chance to either get a hey they they've got something or hey they don't have something hey i've just like anything in life you've got you've got your first impression if you don't make a good first impression the odds of getting a second opportunity are very very slim so what are some of the fundamentals that you guys are looking for that you know people that are listening that have ideas or startups um, can can use as they're kind of trying to put that together well you know guy Kawasaki's you know the art of the pitch mm -hmm. you know um, simple phrases of what what the problem is what problem are you solving? Mm -hmm. yep. is, is it a big enough problem? Is it a problem that anybody cares about? Because one of the worst things that happens to angel investors is they invest in a company where they think the, the company's solving some big problem. And then you find out later, nobody really cares about that problem enough to pay for it All right. or continue paying for it. The pain They've been living with the pain. They're so numb. They don't really care about taking care of it and mm -hmm. solving it, solving a big problem. Mm -hmm. But clear articulate short um communications about who you are why you are what you're doing why you're solving a problem and why you're the right people to be able to solve that problem that that's really what it's all about and you know don't don't come in with um uh financials that don't look realistic mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know uh, it's funny I, I was talking to somebody just yesterday and uh, you, you've heard of hockey stick projections. Uh -huh. And it's funny because the Canadians, you know, are big on hockey. They're like, who holds a hockey stick straight up? <laughs> hockey stick is actually out like this. So that's that's really it. They're, they're probably more accurate about hockey stick projections because, you know, it's going to go like this. It's not going to go like this. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, the, I mean, the two areas we typically see that are that are weak with founders, the financial projections aren't justified. Mm -hmm. um, they don't understand their finances well enough um, to understand um, uh, revenue projections. At, at this stage, they don't know what customer acquisition costs are. They don't know what their churn rate's going to be. Mm -hmm. And we all we understand that because when you're really early, you're not going to understand some of that stuff right. yet. But uh, they're, they're not understanding their expense numbers mm -hmm. uh but finances and sales and marketing are usually the two areas that are the weakest mm -hmm. um, 
you know, you, you'll get a technical founder that doesn't know how to sell. Right. Um, they don't know how to market the business. They, um, they want to test an assumption out with customers, um, and they don't know how to do the testing. Where they haven't done the, we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. They haven't done that initial research to determine whether or not this is a problem that anybody wants to solve. How big is the problem? Uh, they haven't done that sort of initial qualitative research. Well, well and even <clears throat> even more to that, right, Scott? It's not just they don't have a they have a, what do they have a problem that people are, are, want to be fixed, but do they have a problem people are willing to pay to have fixed? Yeah, like that's to me. In any any business, right? Business is all about making money. Like that's that's why business. That's what that's what capitalism. That's why business is a business. Unless you're a not for profit, you know you're that you exist to make a profit to make money. You have to exchange something. You have to give something to to get something. And I think you know that understanding how to acquire customers and how to turn whatever we talk about this a lot. How do you package what you've got so that customer will say, hey? I'm willing to give you my money in exchange for that package, that whatever it is. And I- but in a basic sales process, when you go in to talk to a customer, mm-hmm. um, at least when I was in sales, I wasn't asking questions. I wasn't telling anybody anything. I'm asking questions to find out what their problems are because mm-hmm. salesman equals problem solver. Mm-hmm. So it's the job of the salesman to find out what where the pains are for the customer. Right, and frequently we see founders and startups that haven't quantified what the value is of their startup for that particular customer. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna help a customer make X more uh, larger amount of revenue, mm-hmm. or you're gonna make uh, you're gonna lower expenses by Y. Um, have they quantified that at all? Have they gone through the process of a beta customer to say, if you use my software, you're going to save X amount of time and right. you're going to be able to uh, reduce your staff by two FTEs or whatever it might be, and then articulate that when you talk to the angel investors? Love it. Love it. So we're kind of touching on this, but you know, if I'm, I like to talk with hypotheticals. If I'm coming to you, I've got this awesome idea and you're kind of guiding me, um, or critiquing and you're like, Hey, Hayden, you know what? I need to better understand your problem. I don't know if you've actually talked to customers and gotten feedback. What would your recommendation be in terms of how do you vet that this is a real problem that customers are dealing with and then the proper solution to package that up and sell it? You got to talk to prospective customers. Okay. You know, uh, one of the things that you can do is work with some sort of advisor to figure out what questions do you want to ask of that Mm -hmm. prospective customer. Mm -hmm. Um, But network. Yep. Right. So figure out who you think your customer set's going to be. Get on LinkedIn. Who who mm. who do you know that know, knows these people that would be willing to sit down with you and just talk with you about what you're working on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Um, but come up with a, a set of questions that you're going to ask everybody, right? Because you want consistent questions and then consistent answers so that you can vet all the answers, start seeing whether or not there's anything. Right, you want to start, see, start seeing a pattern, right? Yeah. Hey, hey, this fit the last 20 people I talked to, everyone said yes to this, this is, this saves me, this this costs me time in my morning routine. 
If everybody said that cost them time, maybe there's something there, right? That's interesting. Um, so I want to ask a question regarding specifically regarding raising capital because I think you know as as a as someone who's raised angel funds before and right to start my own business um, and had success with it, it was very 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 tough, very tough. Um, I would say that like you can't. What was the toughest part for you? Well, I think the toughest part was getting a. It's understanding how much time it's actually going to take to raise capital. Um, well, double it then. Exactly. <laughs> like you, you, you go into it saying, "Hey, you know, I think I can, you know, I need five hundred thousand dollars, right? So I'm going to raise that in six months." Well, you know, you got to have, you better have a really good plan and have a really strong angel network already to be able to hit that number. Um, so I think a the first the biggest challenge was understanding the amount of time we had to do, understanding what where we needed to be as a company as a, as a startup, you know because you, you know you can read this book versus this article versus this article and this one says hey you can go raise funding at this time and this one says hey no wait till you've got a beta, and it's like it, there's an art to that there's a there's definitely an art to like understanding when the right time is to approach investors. Which I believe, looking back on it, it's now. It's it's approach them now and build relationships so that when you do have what you need to have, you've already developed that relationship because that's what business is about relationships and communicating, right? You said it earlier. You said, hey, we'll sit down with a founder and help them figure out how to pitch us. Mm -hmm. like, we'll talk them through because we like their idea. We'll help them figure out how to sell the rest of the people in the room. Yep. And, and well, we'll we'll help them figure out how much money they ought to raise. Too. It, yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's it's things like that. So I think there was, I mean there, there's there's probably five or six things I could come up with that were challenges, but for you know from from my perspective, I guess, uh, you know the one that stuck out to me the most was a just not understanding how much time it was going to take us to raise any amount of capital, let alone what we needed, because we you know. When you got a startup and you're hot on it and you want to go, you want to go, 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 go. You want the money now because if you do it now, within a year, you'll be here. But it's like, you know, six months later, you're like, all right, I've raised 10, you know, 10 to 15% of my goal. Yeah. So we can do a little bit, but we can't really. So you're moving the whole timetable. It's just, it's just this whole process. My question to you is, Scott, as I ramble on, for, for, for founders that are saying, hey, you know, we we need money. What what do you recommend them do? Do you say do you recommend they immediately approach investors, or do you recommend bootstrapping as long as they can? Well, when when we talk to founders, we we want to see that they they're all in, mm. and we want to see that they've got sort of their own personal money into it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're always going to respect the bootstrapping that goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, we really believe in a tranched approach to the funding. Okay. Because what's happened over the last five years in particular is the round sizes have gone up dramatically. Mm. So where people used to say, I'm going to raise 500,000, it's the number that you use. Right. That was a typical number. Now people are saying, I want to raise a million. Mm. And now they're saying, I'm going to raise a million and a half. And you see these seed rounds that are, you know, I, I, I'm talking with a guy out of, out of Cleveland, and he's, he's, raised, he's trying to raise a $5 million seed round. And, I'm, and I said to him, Aren't you, are you sure you can't raise a little bit less than that? 
Right. You know, if you have you guys ever watched the the show Silicon Valley? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember the one episode where the guy says, "Oh my God, I could have raised less." Oh my God, I didn't realize I could have raised less money. <laughs> right. It's hilarious though, because you know what what we what we tell founders is raise a smaller amount of money and prove something. You know. Go out and and meet some milestones, even if they're small milestones. But now you got something that you can talk about, right? You go to the the next set of investors and you say, "Look, we raised a hundred grand and we did this, and and we knew we needed to do to do that because the next tranche we're going to need to raise. We're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z next." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I joke about it. Um, people want to build to an MVP, right? Mm-hmm. The MVP. And I, and I really espouse that MVP should stand for the minimally viable problem that you're solving rather than product, because people develop this product mm. that has all these features built into it. And they haven't talked to customers to say, well, you know, I don't think I even get around to ask about these other features every year. Right. Oh, I was only one of these others that you put in, right. put in there. Right. So why don't you, why don't you just build the product with less money, um, build, build out your solution with less money and solve a couple of problems first. And then you can build off of that. Mm-hmm. And you got something that you, you're building momentum because you, you don't want to get to a point where you've, and, and I, I think it's just, it, it's just the nature of things. The more money you raise, the more you, you waste. Mm. I, I was about to ask a question and I don't know if you know of any, specific data points but do you think uh startups or companies that do raise too much too quickly they end up floundering in the long run versus no, I, I i'm sure there's stats out there on yeah, that yeah. but um it, you know i i think that both coasts are starting to go into the midwest now because we're sort of like how much money do you need to raise to get to cash flow positive mm-hmm. i mean that's what we're looking for we're not looking for Oh, let's just raise money until we get to a million users and then we'll start, you know, commercializing and selling advertising on our platform. Get the cash flow positive. You know, and how are you going to do what's the path to do that? And so and I think we look at it much more conservatively. Sure. And so raise less money and see what you can do first. I respect that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of that it's that notion of I mean, what you're what you're describing is you're proving yourself along the way, right? So if I raise fifty thousand dollars and I can do this, then I can come back and said, "Hey, I took fifty thousand dollars and I achieved these goals, right?" Yeah, that was a little bit of money for you as an investor, and it got me here. Okay, now my next, you know, my next big goal is here, so I need two hundred fifty. Well. Okay, I trust you more now because mm-hmm. you, what you and so it's building that along the way, right? A, it's probably building. But think about how you feel about that as founders, right? Mm-hmm. You go, oh man, I, I feel satisfied. I didn't waste anybody's money. I accomplished something with the money that I raised. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel good about it. You're getting the momentum, and you're feeling good about what you're doing. Well, and you're and I feel like it creates a money conscious founder too. Yeah. It, right. I mean, versus. Hey, here's five million. Like you just said, spending extravagantly because you've got a lot of cash, versus which I won't name names. I recently worked with an, another company, uh, huge, huge startup uh, out of the Middle East area in the insurance industry. Um, they'll probably listen to this and give me a hard time, but they raised a ton of money, 
and they spend extravagantly and they've had they've had to take major have major cutbacks major layoffs had to cut down on a lot of their programs because there's some stuff we'd be doing for them and they're just they're like hey they're just throwing money at it and it, they had raised 42 million dollars so to them it was like oh we got a big we got a big bucket of cash but that's human nature mm-hmm. you got 10 bucks in your pocket uh, you you say well i'm not going to spend 9 on that mhm you go, well, gee, I got a one dollar left, so let me. Why don't I spend a little bit less first? Right, that's interesting. You're a little bit more conscious about your spending. Is kind of what I'm hearing yeah. to to simplify yeah. things. Yeah. This might be a loaded question, but do you think location matters when it comes to having a startup? Not particularly, really. Sure. Yeah, especially over the last two to three years well, of what we've when you, seen. When, you know, the IT world has always been about outsourcing. Right. you can get it talent all over the world yep um let me let me reframe my question do you see any advantages in starting up in the midwest versus let's say the east coast or the west coast um, or disadvantages well when it takes you 20 minutes to get to work here instead of two hours it's a huge difference yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> uh we're, we're sitting in your nice place here uh, how much does this place cost in the Silicon Valley? Oh, right, right. A uh, ridiculous amount. <laughs> well, right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. Sure. Cost of living, the cost of just operating your business, um, just the ease of being able to navigate. And, you know, here, you know, we're sitting uh, in, a, in an area where you're, you're at about 2.5 million people mm-hmm. in the general metropolitan mm-hmm. area. Yep. It's a large enough area that you can tap into all the different types of resources you need. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at the big co's and all the different, t- the d- diversification of industry here. You can find a subject matter expert, expert somewhere around here, yep. probably. You don't have to go to the, the east or west coast to find those people. And that's what you really want, right? I mean, when you wherever you're, wherever you're, wherever you land, you want to be, have access to those kind that those kinds of resources. Right. Okay. I'm gonna switch gears on you a little bit, Scott. I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. As far as founders go, what like what excites you when you meet a founder? What characteristics or or personality traits really excite you? When you sit down with somebody that's that's interested in raising capital or starting a business, mm-hmm. uh, I think emotional intelligence is a big part of it. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think that what we're looking at as far as the characteristics of founders are, are um, motivation, um, just uh, persistence, mm-hmm. um, uh, quality thinking. Yep, you know, clear headed. Um, uh, strong opinions, but not so strong that they're not willing to listen to any kind of advice. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we look at it is we're looking at founders that are coachable because if, if they're not coachable, that's not really what we're about because we're, we, we think that we have out of 190 members, we have members that we can leverage to help the founder be better. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to leverage the, the expertise within our group. Um, if the founder has all the answers, they don't really need us. Right. Right. Okay. So, does Does that happen frequently? Where you can. know wh- why Why are you coming to us? It seems like you kind of know what you need to know. Can. Yeah. It can, yeah. but it can be a knockout factor for us. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 
but you know we're, we're not looking for pushovers you know we're looking for people that have you know uh uh type a personalities yep but not to the point where they're not willing to step back and assess what's going on and be able to admit that they're wrong you want somebody that's willing to listen when they need to listen yeah yeah. Co coachable as you said i think yeah. that's a right. great word to re-emphasize like right. it's good to be opinionated but also be fluid and change your ways of thinking based on sound logic and reasoning right yeah. right and, and and good leadership skills right because yep. you're you're gonna it's gonna be a long uh ride and you you're gonna have to adjust to uh different personnel that come in and out mm -hmm. and uh have the ability to um, adjust to, to changing market conditions and and be able to ride it out. Yep. And um, it's interesting, one, one of our QCA members has had three exits in three completely different industries. Wow, that's I feel like that's uncommon. Yeah, yeah, he's got a real formula down. And he said, you know, my approach is, I, I when you're first starting out, you can't afford to hire the best, the, high, the A players. Mm -hmm. Right, you you want A players on your team, obviously, right? Right. But he's like, you know, for me, I want to figure out how I can get the most out of the B players until I can afford the A, a players. You're right. Stretch it as long as you can. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, kind of a follow up question to, or comment towards, as we're talking about. You mentioned like. Uh, and this made me think of this. You talk about this guy, this investor that had one of your members that had three exits in three different industries. And from what I remember, you know, when I was raising capital, what was really, and again, coming back to like one of the problems or struggles I had that I, I had a great mentor, mentor, uh, Joe Marinek. He was on our show. Um, he actually never gave me money. I hope he's listening to this. I tried as hard as I could. Still trying to this day. Uh, but unbelievable mentor for me i mean he's he exited which i can share this he exited his uh waste solutions company for over two just under 250 million dollars um i think nine years ago nine or ten years ago now um and it's just done, done a, a bunch of cool stuff so what i'm trying to get at is what he i remember i went down and sat with him when i was building out my uh, kind of my plan and my pitch i went down and sat at his house and i remember I'll, I'll tell this story i think i told you the story before so he's got this, this big house and it's got these big front doors and then like a garage and like a, like a drive-through parking thing on the side. And I had never been in his house. I was other for like Christmas parties. We'd gone down there. So he's like, Hey, come down to my house. We'll meet. And like, we'll go, I'll go over your pit. I was pitching him to get him as an investor. I'll go over it. So I go down there and I'm in my suit. And this is seven years ago. I'm, I was, you know, I think I was 20, uh, 21. And I walked down there and there's a big pond in front of his house. And I, I'm like, all right. There's no walkway up the front door. There's no, there's like a fence around this front door, but I'm like, I don't want to like walk through his garage. Like, so I walk up and I step over this fence and I knock on the door and he walks, he wait and wait, wait. And he answers. He goes, he goes, why the hell did you come through my front door? And I was like, like, I'm like shaking in my boot. Like I'm, I'm trying to play it cool. Like I'm a confident person. I'm like, I don't know. Like, he's like, don't ever, he's like, He's like, this is just for looks. Nobody actually comes through my front door. I was like, okay. So anyways, we get in this house and like, and we're going through this this pitch. That was the first test. Yeah, was like, yeah. He's like, you he failed. wants to see how you react. He's like, you failed. <laughs> uh, we sit down. He was, and, he was watching you. He's like, let's see what this dude does. Social yeah, experiment. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, he looked at it and stepped in dog poop. 
Um, <laughs> Let's see, see if he jumps the fence. Yeah, <laughs> I totally did. I jumped right over. I was like, whatever. There's the front door. So we're in there and we're talking and I've got my presentation up. I, I put it up on one of his uh, TVs in his house and going through it. And, and, and it was great because he's providing feedback as I'm going through it. But he's like, he's a very old school. He's done it for so long uh, that he's, he's picking it apart. Like he's like, Right off the bat, he's like, I'm not going to give you money right now. You're nowhere close to where I want you to be. I don't have any subject matter experience in what you're pitching to me. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, you know, I was in aquaculture. Like, he had no wa- water technology. Like, he was a healthcare waste guy. He's totally opposite of what I was doing. It, it, no, no industry experience. He's like, I won't invest in you, but I'm going to help you figure out how to build a sales strategy around this, how to scale this. I'll talk you through how you can do that. And then he's like, I'll make an introduction to you for you to somebody that if he invests in you, I'll invest in you. And he still never invested in me, but he, I remember him sitting there and what was so interesting and what I'm trying to get to here after that funny story of me jumping the fence is he's like, you want to approach investors that have industry experience or direct expertise because they will understand what you're trying to do way more and he said a lot of investors especially angel investors they and, and probably the same goes with venture capital and 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 so on invest in what you know and my question to you is like as a as a group you know do you guys have a queen city angels use an example like do you have different do your investors your members have silos that they invest in and how important is that for founders that are looking to raise capital to be very specific about who they approach? Well, I think it's very important for founders to understand who they're approaching and what their expertise is. Mm -hmm. Um, We invest in three primary verticals. Okay. So life science. So mostly medical devices. Okay. Um, IT. So think B2B SaaS, Mm -hmm. maybe enterprise software, not, not apps. Um, could be clean tech, could be, you know, fintech, could be a lot of different. We've had a long-standing group looking at blockchain and cryptocurrency, okay. um, and then uh, advanced materials. And most angel groups form around their members' expertise. Okay. But so, uh, our group, we have folks that have had long careers and you work in at Ethicon Endosurgery or J and J. They've got deep domain expertise in medical devices. Mm. They've had startups, successful startups that have exited in, in medical devices. And and that's another thing about our group is that um, a high percentage of the of the members have been successfully exited entrepreneurs. Okay. So, so they've been in the game, they've done it. Been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Right? So when 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 they talk about yeah, we understand the dark nights that you're dealing with. They do. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did. Like uh, sweating payroll on a Friday, right? Or they or they've got to fund it out of their own pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've they've lived it. They've been in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you really want to ask up front what what do you think the expertise is in your angel investor group or in your investor group? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, where do you think you can best help me? All right, okay. And domain, and like you said, I, I think I think what I was trying to get out of it is to, is to you know potential founders and and startups that are listening to, our, to the show is do your homework. Yeah, do your homework, and 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 
Yes. Most groups are going to be completely transparent. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can ask them, look, how much do you typically put into a deal? What's the range? Right. How much time does it usually take through for your process? I mean, I got a video on our website that actually describes each stage of the process and how long it takes. Uh-huh. So we're, we're not, you know, you know, it's no surprise. <laughs> T- take a look at the video, right? Um, what's the expertise within your group? Who within your group is, do you think is the most experienced in, in my particular area? And can I talk with that person? Hmm. Insightful. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I got a couple of questions I've been kind of uh, note-taking over here. It's the way my brain uh, processes information. I'm going to kind of flip the script a little bit. What makes a good angel investor? Uh, I think a good angel investor, first of all, understands that there are going to be losses. So angel groups are formed around this concept of either being a network or a fund or both. Mm-hmm. Um, we we are a hybrid group sure. where it's it's uh, a network and a fund but you've got to be able to stomach the losses sure. yeah so you, you you know just like you know the the statistics from the bureau of labor statistics and and the the uh, department of commerce will say that you know most small businesses fail 80 percent of them fail in two years right mm-hmm. and that percentage is maybe slightly lower in our space because these are high technology, high growth businesses, and typically speaking, you're going to have people um, often that have some domain expertise that, where they're starting the business. So that may give them a little bit longer of a runway to be able to survive. Okay. Um, but uh, be willing to p- place a lot of bets. Sure. Because we what we found is that um, uh, those angel investors that have made 15 investments or more. Um, are have higher returns right because they've been able to you know uh, eventually you're finding the ones that are going to rise to the top mm-hmm. and are going to give you the bigger returns makes sense um and understand that it's not you're not going to make money overnight this is this is a patient capital as um, alternative asset class and that uh even this, even the successful SaaS businesses it's going to be four or five years before you see an exit mm-hmm. In, in some of the other verticals, it may be seven, ten, or, or more years. Mm-hmm. Follow-up question to that. And get involved. Yeah. Get involved. So <clears throat> get involved with your group. Um, sit in on the screening meetings. Understand the cadence of the group and how the, cadence, how the group makes decisions. Sure. Be involved in due diligence teams. Um, ask questions. You know, get engaged. And I love that. You know, so, I mean, our, our group... You know, when we bring a new member on, we onboard them onto our process, and we share a document that we've put together that's called our standards and pra- standards and practices guide, which is about a four hundred page document. Oh my goodness! And it memorializes everything that we do within our group. So we how have, how big is your group? If you're allowed to speak to 190. that, hundred ninety, hundred ninety. Okay, in I think you did states. Make, okay, okay. Located in twenty states. Wow, you guys impressive. are in twenty states now. Yeah. Wow. Very impressive. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But that standards and practices guide, I take people to that document because there are call outs in there. There's definitions. There's links to uh, uh, recommended reading. There are webinars that the Angel Capital Association has put on. Educate yourself. I mean, get steeped in education. Learn the smart practices. Mm-hmm. Talk to other angel investors. What's your strategy? And um, it's all about learning because we're going to make mistakes along the way. Let's learn from the mistakes. But you got to be willing to put bets down. 
I love it. Before you hit your follow-up, I want to ask this quick follow-up. Why do people become angel investors? Because they want to give back to founders. They want they want they want to take their expertise and experience and skills and give it back to a new generation of, of founders that have innovative ideas and want to start businesses. And I'm assuming and that's your answer too, right? That's not my answer. That's that's the research that we've done through the Angel Capital Association, asking angel investors what was your motivation to get involved in angel investing? It's funny we look at each other just because I was expecting you to be like, well, there's the tax benefits and there's the, and, and, and there's these, all these other, but you're saying not just from your perspective legitimately. And that's, that's, that's cool in general about the whole thing is the number one reason is they want to give back. Yeah. They, they want to give back to the next generation. Yeah. I've done it. Let me help you do it. Yeah. It, there's solid research on it. That's you awesome. would think that the number one uh, reason would be the returns in the asset class. Right. Well, that's I was thinking like there was going to be. Yeah. That's number two. Wow. That's exciting. That's exciting for me to hear. And I'm sure for all of our listeners and, and, and just in general that I, I just like it's cool to hear you say you said it so matter of fact. Look in the eyes. And you, look, you said they want to give back like that's 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 incredible. Yeah. So my, my follow-up question, and I think your, your answer kind of uh, was already answering this, but what do you see maybe some uh, angels angel investors doing incorrectly or maybe heard of? Um, I, I think where we fail as angel investors is just not doing um, thorough enough due diligence. Sure. Um, if you look at... Um, uh, the, the statistics show if you've done 30 hours of due diligence on a deal, your, your, your success rate goes up dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, using the tools out there to be able to assess all the different areas in due diligence. Um, I, I'm a big uh, advocate of just assessments. So uh, the Founder Institute created a tool years ago uh, called the Entrepreneur DNA, mm. and the uh, Adeo Resi uh, was the the guy who started Founder Institute. He had his uh, his roommate in college was Elon Musk. No way. And so. this and his undergraduate degree was in behavioral therapy, and so he created a test that he would give to founder teams. And keep in mind, Founder Institute's really a. Um, uh, a hustle kind of startup, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about a startup and you're going to these classes in the evening, uh, an accelerator in the evening to kind of test the idea out. Yep. But he, he has said that they, they have, they have submitted this test a half a million times now. And he had a couple of universities go through all the data and he, he claims that he can, he has a hundred percent confidence that if there's a certain, blend of different founders the founder team is going to blow up and one of the founders is going to have to leave oh is that like personality personality testing too yeah wow like a, like a certain mix of personalities and like could be it'll be so toxic wow. that one of those founders is going to have to leave or the team is just not going to be able to survive hmm. that's interesting that's a psychology the psychological <clears throat> part of it yeah yeah so I, I think spending as much time with the founder and the founder's team 
uh, is really, really key. Okay. Understand how they act, how they interact, um, understand sort of just the strengths finder sort of, uh, approach, um, who has this strength and who has that strength and is it matching up? Are there gaps out there? Uh, are the founders aware of that? Do they understand that they need to find somebody else to kind of fill that gap for them, for themselves? So. That's awesome. Do you want to maybe throw one more open-ended question before we do some quick hitters? Um, I gotta think I had like, I have so many I want to hit you with right now. Let me, let me narrow this down for a minute. You, you, you talked about earlier on, you were talking about due diligence and then you just brought due diligence back up again and coming from somebody that's gone. I've been through the due diligence process. Felt me, felt me, I felt like I was standing naked out in the middle of a hurricane. Um, it was, uh, that conjures up a cre- uh, ugly scene, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> literally. It, it, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. What I right. meant, what I mean by that is it, it very, very, you're vulnerable. Right? You're very vulnerable. You're very, right. it's, from my from my experience, it was a very a very vulnerable state of where my where my startup was at, where I was at, you know. And so my my question to you is for people that are listening, um, that don't understand what due diligence really means. What can you give is like a an equivalent or or maybe a summary of what due diligence means to QCA and a lot and 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 I'm using QCA but. Because of the collaboration, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities ac- across the U.S. with different mm-hmm. angel groups, yeah. you know, just for different people that are listening in different, you know, whether Chicago or Seattle. What we're all looking at, sort of the same. Thing. Exactly. So, so right. what does that mean? Um, I don't know. I don't know what it necessarily means, but I. But what we've done is we've actually when we do a ranking in the different. So we we look at seven different areas. Okay. So. Think of management, sales and marketing, uh, corporate structure, competitive uh, com- competition. You know, there's seven different areas, and then there's four sub areas. Uh, we actually have all the due diligence team do a ranking in each one of those and give it a, gives it a number value. Sort of our secret sauce is that we've been able to actually come up with the definition for a one and a three and a five. So when our our folks are doing due diligence. And they're they're thinking about uh, let, let, we're looking at the management team, right? Uh, Hayden's clearly a five, and you go, well, I don't know, Hayden. This guy's shortcomings. Maybe he's a three, but you can at least look at what the definition is of of, of a three and a five. Like you have it specifically written, right? Yeah, it, beca- it becomes a little bit more um, objective rather than subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. I think it does. It, it, it does. I mean, my, my question was, you know, generally speaking, like understanding the the buckets that are included in this. Um, and oh, we that, share those with our with with the founders. Yeah, yeah. You know, they know up front exactly what it is it. What looking. you're going to be looking at? Like, is that in your 400 page? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's criteria. Yeah. 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 Very. Yeah. Cool. I mean, once again, as transparent as we can be for the founders. So they understand when they go into due diligence with us, we create what we call a, a, a due diligence welcome package. And we send to them, this is exactly everything that we're going to be looking at in this dil- diligence process with you. Hmm. Here are all the team members, their names, their email addresses, their bios. 
and uh, here's how long we think it's going to take. And we want to be completely transparent about that. We, we want to know what founders are getting into. And, you know, kind of to follow up to your, your previous question, um, founders need to be able to be vulnerable with angel investors. Mm. So, you know, when, when a founder comes to us and they say, well, I, you know, I'm going to have to have you sign an NDA because it's a super secret. Uh, I can't just talk about this. Well, you have to have that level of trust with the, with your investors to be to be able to be open and and talk open and honestly about everything about the business. Right. And so that's important on both sides. Well, if they don't and and, and even at that point, there's no sharing of vulnerability or openness, then you as as a group, as an angel investor or a mentor, you don't know what I need because I haven't actually told you the truth, right? It's like me saying, "Hey, like dude, I you know, I'm like I can I can run 10 miles and in 20 minutes but really like i can i can't even run 10 miles but i've told you that so you can't little do i know that you might know how to do that but you're not going to share it with me now right i mean that's relationship 101 yeah, right you gotta I love it build I love it trust be vulnerable so yeah. both parties can kind of understand how can i help peel back the onion as quickly as possible is what yeah. you gotta do. i mean we're in it we're in this together yeah we, right. we don't we don't make money unless the founder makes money right <laughs> And you know that's part of what we're looking at when we go through the process is we we, we want to make sure, and and I, I borrow the idea from my my buddy uh, Ben Pigeon over at Vision Tech when he sits down with founders sometimes he'll say, you know what let's take a look at your cap table when you've finished the the uh, uh, the ex that you've got to the exit, mm -hmm. what would that theoretical cap table look like, what's your equity when when you've finished mm -hmm. right. What's the exit value? Yeah. So, what are you going to cash out for? Is this going to be? Is this journey going to be worth it for you? That's yeah. an interesting perspective, right? Like, right. If you get to the end of it and you finally exit, like, well, you know, we we did a program years ago, and the guy said, you know, I I, uh, um, I think he said I cashed out for two million dollars, and it was after nineteen years, and, and I was like, well, nineteen to two million dollars. That, that's a that's a big number, right? Right. But over 19 years, if you if you just invested, if you just did dividend reinvestment, you might end up making five million dollars. Right. So was it really worth it? Maybe. Right. But but right. But but, but you know we we want we want to work with the founder to help them understand that. In some some cases, you know we we may say that we need to. Um, increase the ISO pool, the stock options pool, because we don't think the founder has enough equity. Mm. Uh, we we want them to be incented to make sure that make sure it goes well. worth their time. Right, right, right. Yeah, if they win, you win. Right. That, That's right. Hundred percent. That's right. You want to hit the quick hitters? Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm loving the conversation. We, we this is amazing. Dude, we can literally keep going too because I'm like. I mean, I'm thinking about so many different avenues we could pick your brain for our listeners and just for our in, our interest too. Um, well, I know if, I don't, if we don't bore people too much, I'll come back and. Oh, well, that's what I was about to say. We'd love to have you back on if we can yeah. make it work. Yeah, yeah. the schedules. And Hit stuff. it with some quick hitters. Well, I keep going. Well, okay, one more before you. I always yeah, do this yeah, though. Yeah, one yeah. before you go because we got some quick hitters, but I, I've got some. I, I'd like to brand these as personal-ish questions, mm -hmm. not super personal. What is some, maybe this is kind of a quick hitter too. What is something about your career and where you're at in life that really motivates you to get up every day? Um, no, no two days are the same. Okay. Um, 
I had my own business when I um, decided to come over to Queen City Angels. Okay. And um, I I have uh, learned enough about the organization, what our missions and, and goals are. And it's it's nice just to, it's almost like I'm running my own business. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I get excited each and every day because I see new and different ideas from founders. Right. Um, it, it's so fascinating to see how people think and how founders are going about solving problems. And it's so fascinating for me to work with the angel investors with our group because we've got just incredibly smart people. And I learn something every day. I I, I absolutely do. I, you know, you, you sit in a meeting and one of your angel investors asks a question, you go, oh my gosh, I would have never thought of that question. Right. I just learned something. It's novel. It's novel. Yeah. Yeah. People crave novelty. It sounds like you get a lot of novelty in your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of have a follow-up to that real quick, and then we'll we'll, we'll dive <laughs> Wait, into the quick hit. I, I know. I'll follow up to the follow-up. Do you have, and maybe you're not able to speak to this, but do you have like a favorite idea or startup that you've kind of learned over the, the years? Uh, we had a we had a really interesting exit uh, last year, and we we had we had a day where I said I said we should have all gone gone out and bought a lottery ticket. Because on August thirty first of last year, we had two exits that happened on the same day, wow. almost within the same hour. Wow! One was at four o'clock in the afternoon, the other one was five o'clock. Like that? Yeah, two exits in one day. Um. That, that's more than a shooting star, right? That's or, that's or, rare, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you 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 talk to investor groups, and nobody ever know has ever said like, like hold on, what? two eggs in a day. <laughs> what are you smoking? They're like, hold on. Um, and and both of those companies were really really interesting. One was Standard Bariatrics, mm. and the the idea was started by a bariatric surgeon, mm. and uh, what they ended the technology that they ended up developing. Uh, industry experts were just saying, there's just no way you're ever going to be able to do that. And they proved them wrong. Love that. Yeah. And that, that was really cool. Supply Dynamics was a uh, sort of a um, supply chain type startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, the founder had created the platform, sold it to a company. It got rolled into the company. And for over about 12, 12 years or so, it just became a cost center. And they invested tens of, like, 10 or $15 million into the platform. And he convinced the company to, to carve it out mm-hmm. and take it independent. And so we're like, why wouldn't we invest in this? This guy know, I mean, he, look how much he knows about this business. Right. And uh, that was that was a great success. That's awesome. Yeah. We're smiling over here because we're, Dude, we're I can, all the insights. I can keep and- going. I, I, I'm smiling at you because I'll, you, like, I'll let you do your quick hitters. You want me to, to kick things? Hit them. Hit them with the quick hitters. Uh, so we're kind of deviating a little bit from our conversation here, but we like to see more so the personal side of the people we talk to. Do you have a preference when it comes to day or night? <laughs> day. Day. Okay. I got one for you. I work day and night, so. Amen <laughs> <laughs> to that. Always working. There's more tired at nighttime. <laughs> right. What is we ended on this? This is this is one I I love this question and it's super cliche and I don't really care because I love it. What is some advice you'd give to your younger self 
and what's some advice you'd give to your future self? Uh, I would have done more networking when I was younger. I would have I would have talked to more experienced people okay. to find out what their path was in life and how they got where they are. That, that's what I probably would have advised my younger self. My older self is to uh, uh, take time just to, to, to take it easy and uh, live in the moment. Okay. Because, you know, I... Uh, what, what's nice about the COVID world is I actually work from home frequently uh, and we've got three smaller kids. How old are so, they? Uh, uh, 11, nine and five. Uh, wait, what's the split? I've got a nine year old. So what's yeah. the, I got two girls. I got two girls. What do you got? 11 <clears throat> year old boy, Sammy. Okay. Uh, nine year old girl, Kate and a five year old boy, Finney. Oh, we got to get Kate and Ava together. <laughs> wait, yeah. what is, what's Kate? And then, and I've got two two boys from a previous marriage too. So you got five. Yeah, I got five. Man, you're a yeah, you're I, a busy dad. I I, I, uh, I told people I, sk- I skipped health class in school and I didn't understand how that happened. <laughs> and now I understand. <laughs> so I, I've got a, I've got a thirty one uh, a thirty one year old and a uh, twenty seven year old. Okay. Right around our well, age. so you've you've literally coached. I mean, you've parented around those around the ring. Now you've done yeah. it. That's yeah. pretty neat. That's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. But you know, um, just taking the time to to just take a deep breath. Uh, you know, I I have been thinking about this more lately. Just spending more time making sure that I'm the best I can be. Because mm. you know. Uh, I think what 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 happens in this industry, and you 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 can see that what's happened in our ecosystem. There's burnout that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's accelerators that come and go. Um, there are people that come in and out of the ecosystem, and uh, it can burn you out. So I think it's important to make make sure you take care of yourself. Well, I love that. I love that you said that, Scott. Especially because you know you've got you've got so much experience and. And and knowledge, and for you to so, like, first of all, you've talked about, and there's been so much for our listeners and myself and Hayden that like I could I get sit here and talk to you all night, and like, we go out, we can still be talking. But what I think is was so cool for you to say that is that is is taking care of yourself, like for you to be so conscious and real and open to us about that. That is that that just makes me that just makes me so happy to hear. Because I think a lot of us in this in this day and age, with all of these extracurricular things and inputs from social media and pressures from work and pressure from X Y Z to accomplish, and we forget but, that. But like, true for founders too. Right? Yeah, I mean, you, you've seen marriages get broken up, and you know, people that is you know flame out, or you know, I mean, we've 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 seen founders have nervous breakdowns. Because yeah. you got to take care, of, you got to take care of this to be right, able to right. take care of all that. Right, that is the foundation. If you don't take care of your foundation, everything else goes to hell. Right, yeah. right, right. They yeah. tell you to put the air mask on yourself first. And yeah, right, literally, you can't take care of somebody else if you can't breathe. Right, I love that. I love that. That's a great. That is a great Very way profound. to end the episode. Phenomenal <laughs> way. Well, Scott, we really appreciate the time here. Lots of wisdom, information. We'd love to have you back. If we can oh, make things work it. here yeah. in the future. It's a great experience. Thanks, yes. guys. Yeah. Anything that you want to? I'm just uh, excited for excited for the feedback we're gonna get from this episode. This was thank you so much for coming. We well, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we had fun. Uh, and and you know, to our listeners and and people watching the show, stay tuned. Uh, we'll keep bringing on some some guests like Scott. He'll be back. 
Uh, we'll have to do like a cool like anniversary episode for that when Scott comes back on. But thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for coming on, Scott. And uh, more to come. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks all. Take care.